Hello, and welcome to the Clinical Care Options Oncology Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Quill. Today's episode features expert answers to clinician questions on the use of targeted agents and novel combinations, and insights on personalizing treatment for patients with chronic lymphocytic leukemia, or CLL. This episode is part of a larger educational program titled Application of Individualized Treatment for CLL and SLL, Novel Agents, Combinations, and Sequencing Therapy. During this podcast, Dr. William Weirda of MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, Dr. Jeremy Abramson of Harvard Medical School in Boston, and Dr. Brian Hill of Cleveland Clinic in Cleveland, Ohio, answer audience questions from a live webinar focused on personalizing treatment for patients with CLL. For more information on our faculty for this program, along with a link to the complete program, including downloadable slide sets from the webinar, please visit the show notes for this episode. Now let's get started and hear what the experts have to say. So one one thing that I that stood out to me when you were going through your uh, through the data and through the NCCN guidelines is in the frontline setting, there are no chemoimmunotherapy preferred regimens uh, for patients with CLL, and we have uh, options in terms of BTK inhibitor, and we have BTK versus. Um, versus uh, BCL2-based therapy. And I think you very nicely went through some of the things that help us select treatments for patients. And it's obvious that we're becoming more and more um, individualized in our um, and deliberate in our selection of treatment for, for our patients. Um, so maybe could you just touch on chemoimmunotherapy? I think you highlighted in your talk, chemoimmunotherapy isn't on the preferred list of uh, in any area. So maybe let's, can you just highlight where chemoimmunotherapy, what, what role chemoimmunotherapy places in the, plays in the frontline setting? Um, and uh, then we can talk a little bit about targeted therapy. Yeah, I think uh, chemoimmunotherapy has remarkably moved to a niche setting uh, in the upfront management of CLL. Um, my preference would be to use it in no older patients with CLL, uh, independent of risk factors. I think those patients are clearly better served with either venetoclaxobinutuzumab or a BDK inhibitor. Um, there is one scenario uh, that I've come across uh, that can be an exception to that, and that unfortunately has to do with, with drug coverage. Uh, so, uh, you know, our targeted uh, drugs here uh, are um, supplied by specialty pharmacies and can be expensive. And I have run into a handful of scenarios in patients with absolutely no drug coverage and very high co-pays uh, where, uh, where none of the targeted agents uh, or even, uh, were, were available. And in that setting, I would still have to consider either a chlorambucil-based approach if the chlorambucil was covered or bendamustine rituximab, although it is really only in the circumstance uh, that a patient absolutely could not get venetoclax or a BTK inhibitor. For the younger patients, I think it really comes down to these younger mutated patients. And I think this is a controversial area. Uh, I think uh, a lot of, uh, of, of my colleagues would say that these patients should uh, definitely get FCR um, uh, based on the fact that there can be durable uh, remissions. You know, I look at the comparative trial and say that they look very similar, though not with, de- with a decade of follow-up. Uh, and I'm concerned about the toxicities of this FCR, including a low risk of myelodysplasia. And I'll note that these young mutated patients are the patients who are likely to do well no matter what we do. 
And we are now there not only with BTK inhibitors and BCL2 inhibitors, next generations uh, of those agents coming down, CAR T cells looking very good and a bright future. And so um, I do have that discussion with my young mutated patients. Some of them really like the idea of six months of treatment and being done and may never needing additional treatment versus a more novel agent uh, based approach uh, with either venetoclaxo venetuzumab or uh, a BTK inhibitor. So can you comment on the use of CD20 antibody in the setting of first-line BTK inhibitor-based therapy? Is there a role for CD20 antibody in addition to BTK inhibitor-based therapy? I think with abrutinib, the answer to that, uh, from my perspective, would be no. Uh, we have uh, only one randomized trial that looked at this, uh, but the Alliance trial that looked at abrutinib versus abrutinib R versus BR uh, the progression-free survival curves between abrutinib and abrutinib R were really directly overlapping. Uh, and so I don't see a role for rituximab in combination with uh, abrutinib. Um, with acalabrutinib, uh, we have a similar randomized trial with, uh, with um, obinutuzumab. Uh, and in that trial, uh, the Elevate trial, that had acalabrutinib, obinutuzumab, acalabrutinib alone, uh, or chlorambucil uh, obinutuzumab. And that trial did show a benefit Obinutuzumab. And this is not uh, a, a, a necessarily startling result. We've seen that obinutuzumab does appear to be a better monoclonal antibody than rituximab in CLL, though that is not necessarily true in other lymphoma indications. So with acalabrutinib, I certainly consider uh, the use of, uh, of concurrent obinutuzumab, but I counsel patients that the magnitude of benefit is small and if they prefer to just be on an oral agent and not come in for uh, intravenous therapy for that initial six-month period, then I feel completely comfortable treating with acalabrutinib alone. Great. A couple additional quick questions. One is, you, I think you clarified for us your preference for BTK inhibitor in the frontline setting and the reasons for that. Um, and you didn't really touch on the use of PPI and H2 blockers in the setting of administration of acalabrutinib. So can, can you comment on uh, the use of PPI uh, inhibitors and uh, H2 blockers in patients you have on acalabrutinib? Yeah, thanks for bringing that up, Bill. This is an important uh, drug interaction to know about uh, in that uh, patients who are on uh, acalabrutinib really should not be on a proton pump inhibitor. And so those patients either need to be changed uh, to a lower dose H2 blocker uh, or uh, be off um, uh, 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 therapy, those therapies for heartburn. And so if I've got a patient who requires a PPI, I would, I would prefer ibrutinib uh, among BTK inhibitors in that population, or of course, menetoclaxobinutuzumab is an option. I'll note that coming down the pike in the not too distant future will be xanabrutinib, yet another BTK inhibitor, uh, which, uh, will not, uh, which will also not have uh, the issue of drug-drug interactions with, uh, with the PPI. But if you are, if a patient is on a PPI, take that into consideration and choose an alternate agent than acalabrutinib. Um, and then finally, just another question before we move on to the relapse setting. Uh, can you comment on where we're at with MRD in the frontline setting? Is it clinic, is it used, should it be used in the community? How is it useful in our clinical trial efforts? Sort of where does it fit in with first-line therapy? This is an important question. I think uh, currently uh, people are using it in very different ways or not at all. I would say that there is no uh, obvious um, absolute reason to be checking MRD uh, in the standard of care setting. Uh, MRD in the clinical trials uh, thus far, though I showed you some of those data, 
did not use that as an actionable event, meaning all patients discontinued venetoclaxobinutuzumab at one year, regardless of their MRD status. One way one could choose to use it today uh, would be in counseling patients. And so we know that patients who are MRD detectable at the end of that one year of combination therapy have a higher chance uh, of progressing than patients who are MRD undetectable. And so you may monitor those patients more closely, or you may let patients know uh, uh, this information prognostically. Um, I don't think we have level one evidence to say that we should do anything differently about it, though I do think that for those of us doing clinical trials in this field, that's the important question. Should we be using MRD to adapt our therapy? Should they continue that therapy continuously until they're MRD undetectable? And if they don't become MRD undetectable, continue that therapy as maintenance uh, treatment. Should we be looking for MRD earlier and for patients who go MRD undetectable less than a year, stop their treatment even earlier than one year? And these MRD adapted studies are ongoing. And so I do predict that in the future, checking MRD in clinical practice will very much be a part of what we do and help us guide our ongoing treatment uh, management decisions. But as of today, I think it's of limited utility and not mandatory. You didn't talk about chemoimmunotherapy in the relapse setting. Can you just com- make a comment on, are there any places for chemoimmunotherapy in the relapsed setting? Yeah. Yeah. So I think the Murano trial puts that to rest pretty well and shows with an overall survival benefit that, um, you know, uh, Ven R outperforms Ben Domustine R, which I think most if you were going to use chemo uh, therapy more than once, bendamustine would probably be a, a more tolerated agent. Now, are there cases of patients who have very long remissions with, let's say, a mutated IGBH and they had FCR 10 years ago and happened to be relapsing again and they're still fit and, you know, or maybe they have insurance coverage issues? I think in their sort of niche settings, there may be select patients where it may be reasonable. So uh, let's talk a little bit about... Um retreatment. So with the BTK inhibitors, with the irreversible BTK inhibitors, the strategy is to put patients on the irreversible BTK inhibitor. They're on it unless they need to come off for some toxicity or they have progressive disease. Um, Is it reasonable to switch to another irreversible BTK inhibitor in a patient who's developing resistance or progression on uh, on a BTK, an irreversible BTK inhibitor? I, I think there's a great question that comes up clinically, uh, not infrequently. So if, if a patient is tolerating, let's say, a brutinib, since it was you know first to market, came on, patients been on a brutinib for years, and now they're clearly progressing. Their white count's going up and their nodes are getting bigger. Uh, there is no reason to switch them to acalabrutinib. These drugs have the same binding site and are, is unlikely to work. So they really need to get out of the class, that class of drug. So switch target. Correct. Um, yeah. But you do consider switching irreversible BTK inhibitors for patients who have some intolerable side effect toxicity. Yeah, yeah. What about retreatment with BCL2 inhibitor-based therapy? Um, if a patient has had uh, treatment such as given with CLL-14, um, or Murano um, and achieves a remission and is in remission a reasonable period of time, and we'll talk about what that might be. What are your thoughts on retreatment with venetoclax-based therapy in that setting? Yeah, so this is, I think, going to become more and more of a an issue going forward. Uh, right now, there's such a small number of patients who've had the frontline venetoclax uh treatment 
Um, and if they had it, they've been, they've completed it probably in the last year or two. Um, there, I have some patients who've had venetoclax for, let's say, two years per the Murano's trial and then have um, come off therapy and may need to be uh, treated again. And there are some limited data, uh, I believe at this year's ASH and, and in the last year we've seen, um, that you can retreat with venetoclax and the uh, response rates do seem pretty reasonable. Uh, there's another question, an interesting question about <clears throat> use of CD20 antibodies. So if a patient gets a regimen with a CD20 antibody in the frontline setting, well, I'll give you an example, acalabrutinib plus obinutuzumab, and you want to switch targets in the relapse setting when the patient progresses uh, to venetoclax-based therapy, is it reasonable to include a CD20 antibody again in the relapsed setting? I would. I, I would sort of uh, follow the data we have, which is uh, in the Murano trial. Most of the patients did have an anti-CD20, albeit with chemotherapy, uh, as their frontline regimen. So I would sort of stick with the data we have and use the Murano regimen of venetoclax with rituximab, although the, the it is a bit of an open question, I would say. Um, and maybe you can comment a little bit more on the PI3 kinase inhibitor-based therapy um, and what may be some situations where it would be something that you would put to the, to, to the top of the list to consider as a treatment option for patients. Sure. Yeah. So um, the, the drugs are extremely active. Their clinical activity is really just limited by the ability to deliver them. Um, and if someone has... Uh, let's say um, a, a cysteine 481 mutation, so we know BTK inhibitors uh, don't aren't going to work. Um, or if they have severe BTK contraindications, like a mechanical valve, and they need to be on Coumadin, um, and and for whatever reason you can't use uh, venetoclax, or maybe they've been on venetoclax. I think those are the scenarios where PI3K kinase inhibitors are still very reasonable. Um, great. Uh, th there's a couple question on COVID-19, um, which is having a significant impact on our meeting, obviously. Okay. Maybe can you, in your clinical practice, uh, can you um, give us uh, a little bit of information and your perspective on how COVID-19 has affected how you manage your patients with CLL? Yeah, at least in my practice, you know, uh, like many places across the country, we had major slowdowns in the spring, and uh, uh, we're really not sure how this was going to go. But um, right now, I would say with all of the precautions we're doing, I'm trying not to let the, uh, you know, COVID make a major impact on treatment decisions with the possible exception of, you know, if, if someone was on the fence of, one of the scenarios that Jeremy spoke about, like a young you know, patient with mutated um, disease, and we're considering traditional chemoimmunotherapy, uh, maybe either want to defer that or, or uh, steer more towards targeted therapies. Yeah, so um, there is a question here, and I get this question frequently in terms of our combination therapies. Um, is there any concern that we won't have options if we use a combination BTK plus BCL2 in the frontline setting? Um, I have my own personal opinion about that. I'm interested to hear from my colleagues, though, before I give my opinion, what, what, the, what their thoughts are on that. So maybe, Jeremy, we'll start with you. And, uh, and how do you think about this, uh, this topic? 
Yeah, you know, I think it's an important question and obviously the, the data will ultimately tell. Uh, my personal feeling is generally that uh, the deeper a remission you get a patient into uh, and the more durable uh, MRD undetectable that remission is, the, the better. Uh, and uh, that, that that is, uh, um, uh, is offsets any concern about having agents available at relapse because you've delayed that period to relapse. And I think hopefully we actually start curing some patients with combination multi-targeted therapy. So I think the best therapy up front is usually the best strategy. That's typically what history has borne out. Uh, and I'm also encouraged that we are steadily um, developing newer therapies, CAR T-cells, newer generations of existing classes and new classes entirely that will take the place uh, in the relapse refractory setting where needed. So uh, I, I am excited about the, 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 the deeper remissions with a the multi-targeted therapy up front. And I, I think that's likely where we're going to be headed. Brian? Yeah, I, I agree completely. I, I don't see a utility in saving our best drugs for last. I, I think putting them front and center is going to get deeper remissions. And I, I think that cure of CLL is something that we probably can achieve in certain patients with chemoimmunotherapy. And I, I agree with Jeremy that if we get, you know, if you get rid of the last cell, you, then you're cured. And we do that in many hematologic malignancies. I don't see why there's a reason why we can't do that in CLL. And the only way to do it is going to be with combination strategies. Yeah. And I guess the, the, the other thing that I would add is that I would not, I do not necessarily assume that prior treatment is equated to resistance and loss of that target as a therapeutic option, unless a patient is progressing on that treatment for a BTK inhibitor, or if the remission is a short remission following uh, BCL2-based uh, treatment. So if I have a patient who gets ibrutinib venetoclax for uh, 12 months or uh, whatever the treatment, fixed duration treatment might be, uh, and they progress and relapse, if it's beyond two, three years, uh, I, I think those are very viable um, options to go back to um, in terms of retreatment. Um, and we'll get more information around what resistance looks like in this setting um, with additional uh, follow-up on uh, several trials that are, that are ongoing. But I don't equate prior exposure necessarily to, uh, with resistance. And I do think that those are potentially uh, therapeutic options uh, moving forward. Um, in the last couple minutes, uh, just a couple questions. Um, COVID vaccination, there's a question about COVID vaccination. I think that's important. Um, what are your recommendations when COVID vaccine becomes available for your patients with CLL? Who wants to take I'll that just one? jump in and say, I'm sure uh, we all get this question every single day from every single patient. And my response basically is the same, which is, you know, we don't have enough data. I mean, the data that's been in press releases hasn't been peer reviewed. We don't have FDA approval, but, you know, going forward, this is clearly going to be an important issue. And we know in general, CLL patients don't uh, always mount an effective immune response to vaccinations, uh, but uh, that doesn't mean that it's not safe to do. None of the vaccines that are in development are live viruses. So I would encourage patients to, as soon as they're eligible to get it, to get whatever vaccine is available based on the uh, data available at the time. 
So your vote would be to get it. Recommendation would be to get it. Jeremy, you would recommend. Uh, I would similar. recommend to get it with with the major caveat uh, that patients with CLL and patients on abrutinib may not mount uh, effective immune response to the vaccine. I don't think the vaccine would be harmful. Uh, yeah. And so I think uh, any benefit can help during a global pandemic. But I would say that it does not mean cautions can then be thrown to the wind because I would still consider uh, a CLL patient to be at high risk. Yep, I, I agree. That's important to remember. Do you want to comment also on the therapeutic use of BTK inhibitor, particularly ibrutinib, in the setting of patient individual, not necessarily CLL, with COVID? Uh, yeah, there's some intriguing uh, data um, uh, that uh, is out there with uh, ibrutinib and potentially other BTK inhibitors. Uh, looking to uh, ameliorating the course of COVID. Um, and so there are clinical trials ongoing for BDK inhibitors uh, as a treatment for COVID-19 in patients without CLL. So uh, I haven't seen any uh, maturing data, uh, but there's some early, very uh, intriguing data out there. Uh, and, I, and I believe a report has recently been published as well, demonstrating some encouraging early data. So stay tuned. Thank you very much, Dr. Weirda, Dr. Abramson, and Dr. Hill, and thanks to you, the listeners, for joining us. As a reminder, to view the full program, Application of Individualized Treatment for CLL and SLL, Novel Agents, Combinations, and Sequencing Therapy, and to download the slide sets associated with this discussion from the Clinical Care Options website, please click on the link in the show notes. As always, thanks for listening.